like to invite you tonight, if you will, to turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs chapter 5. I'd like to read Proverbs chapter 5 in your hearing. If you'll follow along with me in your Bibles, we'll read Proverbs 5 together. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways are unstable, she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. And do not go near the door of her house, or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. And strangers will be filled with your strength, and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. And you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, How I have hated instruction, and my heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breasts satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly he will go astray. While the Bible gives us honest descriptions about one's sexual temptations, as we saw last time in Proverbs 5, verses 1 to 14, the Bible also gives us a vivid description of faithful sexual marital love. Some examples from the Song of Solomon speak to us of this honest repartee between a man and his wife and their sexual union together. Turn your Bibles just a couple of chapters, uh, a couple of books to the right, Song of Solomon. And I want to show you a few of these that speaks of this beautiful love between a married man and his wife. Song of Solomon. It really can help set the stage for us as we understand the beauty of marital love. For instance, Song of Solomon chapter 1 Verse 2, the man says, May he kiss me with the kisses, uh, the woman says, May he kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your oils have a pleasing fragrance. Your name is like purified oil, therefore the maidens love you. Verse 10, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments your neck with strings of beads. Verse 13, My beloved is to me a pouch of myrrh, 
which lies all night between my breasts. Verse 15, How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves. How handsome you are, my beloved, and so pleasant. Indeed, our couch is luxuriant. The beams of our houses are cedars, our rafters cypresses. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. Sustain me with raisin cakes. Refresh me with apples because I am lovesick. Let his left hand be under my head and his right hand embrace me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the hinds of the field, that you do not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. In other words, until there's marriage, until it's right. Listen, my beloved, behold, He is coming, climbing on the mountains, leaping on the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, He is standing behind our wall. He's looking through the windows. He is peering through the lattice. Verse 14, O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the secret place of the steep pathway, let me see your form. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your form is lovely. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. On my bed, night after night, I sought Him whom my soul loves. I sought Him, but did not find Him. The end of verse 4. I held on to Him and would not let Him go until I had brought Him to my mother's house and into the room of her who conceived me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the hinds of the field, that you will not arouse or awaken my love until she pleases. Chapter 4, verse 1. How beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful you are. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats that have descended from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like the flock of newly shorn ewes which have come up from their washing, all of which bear twins, and not one of them is lost or young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your temples are like a slice of a pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with rows of stones, on which are hung a thousand shields, all the round shields of the mighty men. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle, which feed among the lilies. Until the cool of the day, when the shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling, and there is no blemish in you. Verse 9, You've made my heart beat faster, my sister, my bride. You've made my heart beat faster with a single glance of your eyes, with a single strand of your necklace. It's a beautiful picture of love. Verse 10, how beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than all kinds of spices. Your lips, my bride, drip honey. Honey and milk are under your tongue and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. You are a garden spring, verse 15, a well of fresh water and streams flowing from Lebanon. He says at the end of verse 15, May my beloved come into his garden and eat its choice fruits. Love making. Chapter 5, verse 2, I was asleep, but my heart was awake. A voice, my beloved, was knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is drenched with dew, my locks with the damp of the night. I've taken off my dress. How can I put it on again? I've washed my feet. How can I dirty them again? My beloved extended his hand through the opening and my feelings were aroused for him. I arose to open to my beloved and my hands dripped with myrrh and my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the boat, the bolt. I opened to my beloved, but my beloved turned away and had gone. Chapter 6, verse 10. Who is this that grows like the dawn, as beautiful as the full moon, as pure as the sun, as awesome as an army with banners? Chapter 7, verse 1, How beautiful are your feet in sandals, O prince's daughter! 
The curves of your hip are like jewels, the work of the hands of an artist. Your navel is like a round goblet which never lacks mixed wine. Your belly is like the heap of wheat fenced about with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like a tower of ivory. Your eyes like the pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath-Rabim. Your nose is like the tower of Lebanon which faces toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like caramel, and the flowing locks of your head are like purple threads. The king is captivated by your tresses. How beautiful and how delightful you are, my love, with all your charm. Verse 8, I said, I will climb the palm tree. I will take hold of its fruit stalks. Oh, may your breasts be like clusters of the vine and the fragrance of your breath like apples and your mouth like the best wine. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, flowing gently through the lips of those who fall asleep. The end of chapter 8, the end of verse 1 of chapter 8, no one, if I found you outdoors, I would kiss you. No one would despise me either. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother who used to instruct me. I would give you spiced wine to drink from the juice of my pomegranates. Let his left hand be under my head and his right embrace me. Beautiful picture. Verse 14. Hurry, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. This is... Glorious. It's a beautiful picture of the love relationship between a man and a wife. And it's so wonderful that God has given us a revelation from His very Word that speaks of this love and speaks of the joy and that speaks of the wonder of the sexual union between a husband and his wife. If you remember from last time, we looked at Everything but this kind of description. We looked at the negative aspects of sexuality. That is, from the side of someone who had fallen into sexual sin. In the first 14 verses of Proverbs 5, and you can turn back there, Solomon gives us a warning about sexual seduction. And we spent our entire time in that last message detailing those matters which make for sexual temptation. And I said to you that there was a key verse which gave us a negative command that framed that entire first section. And it is this in Proverbs 5.8, Keep your way far from her, that is the adulteress, and do not go near the door of her house. Solomon warns his son about giving his love to someone other than his wife. To have that beautiful picture that was shown for us as I read those passages from Song of Solomon is all but destroyed because of the man who goes after an adulterous woman. It's a sad picture. and We looked at it in detail and we agonized together about how men and women become involved in this kind of sexual sin and how it destroys their relationships, and in even some cases, destroying their own bodies. But that was for last time. For tonight, and with that very beautiful picture of Song of Solomon in our minds, I want us to come to the other side of the equation, and not a moment too soon. And that is to see the positive nature, the blessing, the wonder of sexual love within marriage. You may remember that I also said that there was a key verse in the latter portion of the section of Proverbs 5 that will occupy us tonight, and that is this, drink water, verse 15, from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. This is the exhortation of Solomon's wisdom to his son regarding the joy of sexual love within marriage. You have, I think we could outline the description of that love in verses 15 to 19, if you're taking notes. The description of that love, the the love of a man toward his bride in verses 15 to 19. We have a beautiful description of it. 
And then the danger of not choosing that kind of love in verses 20 to 23. The danger of not choosing that kind of love. The description, verses 15 to 19, and the danger of not choosing that kind of love in verses 20 to 23. Let's look at verses 15 to 19 first tonight. Solomon uses the metaphor of water and the drinking of water to speak of the sexual union of a man and his bride. He says, drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Now, why would he use a metaphor like this? Well, if you've ever been to Israel, you can understand immediately why. It's a very dry and arid place. And in a climate where there isn't much water, this speaks of refreshment, of soothing cool, of comfort, of joy. And it's an appropriate metaphor. You see, a cistern was a device that caught the overflow of rain that went into a well. And they would have these little bowls, these little cisterns. And when the rainy season came to Israel, and when it comes, it comes in a flood. Often there's flash flooding in that area. It doesn't come very often, but when it does, you'd better capture all of the water you can. And I think appropriately Solomon is using this metaphor to talk about catching all of the love that you can in a relationship of a husband and his wife. This Lack of water, very scarce in that part of the world, would have conjured up in the minds of these people very ready thoughts of comfort and cool and refreshment. Wonderful blessing of refreshment and exhilarating joy. When we were over in Israel twice now, there would definitely be times in which I would say, where's that avion water? Where's that, where's that bottle? And you'd want to have that very much with you at all times because of the heat. And in some cases, even because of the dry humidity there, it makes you believe that it's even hotter than it really is. But you want that water and you want it close. And one of the frustrating things, at least for Americans, when you go over to Israel, is when you go into a restaurant, and of course they, they deal with foreigners all the time, tourists, and you go into that restaurant and you say, man, I have a a tall glass of water, please. And they come out and bring you one that's about that tall. And you say, may I have some ice in that water? And they come and they bring you one small cube that evaporates within 2.3 seconds. There's not much coolness there. And this would be a wonderful, appropriate metaphor. The metaphor of water was commonly used in the ancient world for the sexual relationship. And it's used here also. And you heard it, didn't you, when I read from Song of Solomon, talking about fresh water. It's also used in the negative. Do you remember chapter 9, verse 17, talking about the adulteress? Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Stolen water, talking about the adulterous relationship. Someone believing that they can acquire water in any way or by any means. Stolen water. It seems sweet. Talking about the sexual relationship. It's really a graphic way of speaking in, speaking of the drinking in of sexual intercourse with someone else. But here, here in Proverbs 5, verse 15, and in those passages that we read from Song of Solomon, it's the blessing of lovemaking within the, within the marriage. That's what it's referring to. It's not the sinfulness of partaking in the sexual act outside of marriage. It's drinking in the love and the blessing of God for what a marriage can be in the sexual area. Now I want you to look at verse 16 because it bears a little bit of discussion. Some have suggested that verse 16 refers to the male organ and its sexual use. Because Solomon says, Should your springs be dispersed abroad? Streams of water in the streets? 
talking, of course, about what happens with the male organ and the sexual intercourse. But I don't believe that that's what it's referring to. I believe it's really referring to the idea, again, taking the metaphor of water and referring it to the idea of the sexual union in general. And it's saying that if you are to drink water from your own cistern, verse 15, and fresh water from your own well, then a rhetorical question in verse 16, should your springs, should the sexual relationship that you enjoy with your wife, the sexual act, should it be dispersed abroad? In other words, should you leave your wife and go have a sexual relationship with someone else who isn't your bride? Streams of water in the streets. In other words, it's contrasting the idea of what you do in the privacy of your own home versus the sexual relationship that you might have with someone else in the streets being dispersed abroad. Maybe the idea there of being involved with a foreigner, a stranger, a strange woman, someone who isn't your wife, maybe even someone who's come from a, another country, someone who's not involved not only in your own religion, but someone who's not involved in your own morality. That's what I think it means. Should your sexual life, should your sexual satisfaction be dispersed abroad? Should you go outside the home? Should your streams of water, that is the sexual relationship between you and your bride, should that be in the streets? Should that be some kind of a sexual liaison with someone who is not your bride, some prostitute, some immoral woman? That's what it's referring to. All of that, all of the sexual relationship, all of the intimacy that you enjoy with your mate, it should all happen in the dominion of your own home. It should happen in the confines of your own relationship. It shouldn't be dispersed abroad. It shouldn't be in the streets. It should be an encouraging, joy-filled sexual relationship with your own bride and not with a foreign woman. Not with some other man's wife. I think you can see that from verse 17. Let them, that is those streams of water, be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let, let your sexual life be yours alone, implied your, your stream of water, your own bride, and not for strangers with you. In other words, Solomon is saying, let your sexual urges, your sexual satisfaction be yours with your wife alone and not with a woman who is not a part of your marriage relationship, not a part of your regular sexual intimacy with your bride. Don't do it. I think it's really a reaffirmation of what is said in the Genesis 2, 24 and 25 account. Listen to it. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were naked and were not ashamed. That's the ideal. A man and his bride, one bond, one flesh, one relationship, one sexual union, for a man and for a woman who are married, no one else, according to God's wonderful design. That's God's plan. That's His will. That's His created order. That's what we're to be all about. We're supposed to be coming together in a marital union of sexual love so that we might become one flesh. Not just the proliferation in a one flesh and what that means by the producing of children. That's certainly the result. That's the product of the union. But the one flesh has the idea also that the two are coming together. Even the idea of the physical act. There's a coming inside one another. There's a grouping together of one man and one woman to produce not just children, but an intimacy, a bond, a relationship of sexual love. That's... That's Solomon's phraseology. Your springs of water. 
the springs of physical, sexual love. And it must not be with strangers, foreigners, but let them be yours alone. And remember, he's talking about the contrast of this kind of love and joy and God-ordained relationships from the first part of this chapter. This is joy. This is meaning. This is, this is sweet. And the relationship of an adulteress, according to chapter 5, verse 4, is bitter as wormwood. God says, I want to make it sweet for you. I want to bless you. I want to bring you into this relationship so that you can have joy, so that you can have love, so that you can have it to the fill. Isn't that what we read in Song of Solomon? Did you read all of that? Uh, Talking about one another and their love and their bodies and their joy and their happiness. But see, if you go outside of that relationship, you have bitterness. You have jealousies. You have anger. You have disease. You have all of that. Notice what he says in the next verse. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. That's what you should do. That's that's the plan. In this helpful little booklet called Sexual Sin by Jeffrey Black, combating the drifting and cheating, he says this, The desire for sex in a relationship that otherwise lacks intimacy is one of the most common complaints in marriage. A husband comes looking for affection while his wife complains that he never talks, he doesn't listen, and he spends his downtime in front of the television. But he always seems to come alive when we go to bed, she notes. Sometimes she will consent to sex, but then gives in to resentment. If this husband thinks that snuggling in bed will draw his wife close to him, he's making a critical mistake. The sex may impact him positively, but it won't produce the communion that his wife longs for and that God prescribes for marriage. God always says that sexuality is supposed to be an expression of a communion that already exists. And that's what he's saying here in verse 17. Let them, let this this stream of water, your sexual relationship, let it be yours alone and not for strangers with you. That's the negative. Here's the positive. Let your fountain be blessed. Let that communion Jeffrey Black talks about, that communion of two people committed to each other in love, let it be blessed in the sexual area and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Have fun, he's saying. Have a blast. Do the right things. Have the right kind of relationship. Treat each other in the right kinds of way and you will have what God has designed. And I have to say that this particular word, rejoice, is so understated here. It means to take pleasure in. To take pleasure in. Taking pleasure in the sexual union of your wife and yourself Solomon's saying, have a blast sexually with the wife of your youth. That means your first wife, the one that you first committed yourself to. Have a fun time. There's even a sense in that word, frolicking. Frolic with her. It's a joy. Did you hear that language in Song of Solomon? It's what God delights in when His godly people who are committed to each other in a communion of commitment and love are enjoying one another and having a tremendous time in the bed. And then he goes even into some level of detail further with his son about his son's wife and her body as a point of sexual stimulation for him. Look at it. Let her breasts satisfy you at all times. It's pretty direct, isn't it? Be exhilarated always with her love. We all know the breasts of a woman are sexually stimulating for the man. And I'm so glad that last time 
Pastor Todd Murray, when I finished, said, Ladies, this is a, this is a point of admonition. Breasts are, are very sexually stimulating for a man in his eyes. And if you are to be godly and to pursue what the Word of God says here about your breasts sexually satisfying your husband, then don't show them to anybody else. When you show cleavage... You are really saying by that, I want to show someone else what belongs to my husband alone. Don't do that. Be modest. Don't do that because that's not designed for anyone else's eyes but your husband alone. You are to be involved in sexually stimulating him and what he does with your breasts for you, that is his domain, not anyone else's. The Bible is, is so clear and direct here. It just comes right out and talks about the woman's anatomy. And it says, be exhilarated with this. Enjoy her. Look at that word, satisfy. The next word, be exhilarated. How much? Always with her love. Always. It's so beautiful, the sexual simulation that comes between a man and his wife. And that's why God made us and our bodies this way. He made the, the man to respond to his wife and He made the wife respond to her husband and all of their bodily consequences that result of that sexual stimulation. It's a wonder, it's a joy, it's a beautiful thing. It's not ugly. Hollywood wants to, to make it something that it isn't. What it does is really make it ugly. It makes it showy. It makes it something other than what God intended. And by that, it always does not measure up to what God says or what He wants. God has made a man and a woman to enjoy what it feels like. To be caressed and to be loved, and to be nurtured, and to be touched. Notice what he says. They're likened to beautiful animals. He says, as a loving hind and a graceful doe. Now, the original word, I think, is the word mountain goat. That's probably not conjuring up in our minds something that sounds beautiful. And so I'm glad that the translators really, really came up with a different kind of uh, more beautiful animal for which to show us. A loving hind and a graceful doe. Do you see those adjectival descriptions? Loving hind, graceful doe. I think a loving hind and a graceful doe sound better, don't you? It's the idea of a man and a woman looking at each other, touching each other, being satisfied with each other, satiated with the sexual relationship in marriage. And by the way, this language is, is not only just very, very open and upright and bold, it's also erotic. That word exhilarated, it's a strong erotic term and it means to be out of your mind in sexual satisfaction. Be exhilarated with your wife and her body. It's a celebration of the sexual relationship. Be thrilled. It's one of the great joys of married life. It's, it's one of the grand blessings of a marriage. And again, the Bible is not shy here or in the Song of Solomon as we read about talking about these things. Eric Lane writes this. It's a very good word. Speaking in God's name... He, Solomon, shows how greatly God desires our happiness in marriage as well as our faithfulness. The love of one partner need not be dull, but enjoyable. Rejoice, verse 18. Satisfying, verse 19. Even captivating, that word exhilarate. The language becomes highly erotic, unusual in Scripture, but found also in Song of Songs. But He is, after all, trying to direct us 
from a relationship which is solely that of short-lived but sinful, erotic pleasure to one which is sanctioned by God and long-lasting. He is saying that this does not need to lessen the physical pleasure. The illustration of the doe and the deer backs this up, for they are pictures of female beauty and erotic love. Indeed, the word for love in verse 19 is the eros term. And I wanted to mention a couple of books that have recently come out that I think are very valued. One is called Building Strong Families, edited by Dennis Rainey. Some wonderful, wonderful essays in this book about some of the things we're talking about in families in general, and also for the ladies, Biblical Womanhood in the Home, edited by Nancy Lee DeMoss. Very, very helpful essays on some of these very same themes. And in one of the essays, C.J. Mahaney, a pastor in Maryland, speaks of this from an article that he quotes from Christianity Today about this matter of sex and about how we as Christians should view it. Listen to these wise words. While it comes with clear limits, sex is great. After all, God invented it. The first editors of the King James Version tried to give it a G rating by their chapter headings which suggested that the Song of Solomon was not about sex at all, but about Christ and the church. But only a healthy appreciation of sex could lead the biblical writer to remark with evident pride that when Moses died at the age of 120, both his eyesight and his natural force, which some scholars believe refers to sexual potency, were undiminished. Christians, in other words, are not prudes. We like sex. We celebrate sex. We, think, we thank God for sex. But, and here we differ radically with our society, we do not see sex as a right or an end in itself, but as part of discipleship. When we say no to promiscuity or other substitutes for marriage, we do so in defense of good sex. It is not from prudery that the Bible advocates lifelong faithful heterosexual marriage but out of a conviction that the freedom and loving abandon that are necessary for sexual ecstasy come from a, command, a committed marital relationship. Perhaps we ought to make long marriages our image, our icon of sex. An icon is a picture we look to as a model. We study and meditate upon it because it reveals some aspect of God's glory in the world. Our society has made sex its icon. And I think he's right. That's why it is found on every magazine stand, in every commercial, every movie aimed at teenagers. This icon portrays only well-curved women and well-muscled young men. It celebrates sex for individual satisfaction. But look at a couple celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. Let's make them our icon of sex. Their bodies may sag and creak. Their hair is thin or gone but we see in them something that makes us want to cheer them on. Through them, and only through them, and that kind of committed love shines something of God's glory. That's so very good. Committed, faithful love where sexual relationship is one of the great blessings of that marriage. That's our icon. That's what God has committed to us. That's what He's blessed us with. Now, Solomon's going to turn the tables yet again, and he's going to give us a choice. He's sort of ending Proverbs chapter 5 with a choice. Look at verses 20 to 23. We'll, we'll say it's the danger. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. You see what he's doing? He's saying in this chapter, in verses 1 to 14, I'm going to tell you the negative picture 
of sexual sin. Here's the adulteress. Here's the, the pathology of adultery. Here's what it looks like. Stay away from that. And then he goes in verses 15 and 19 and says, Here's committed love. Here's what it looks like. Here's what it can be. Here's the blessing of God. Here is great sex in a marriage that God says, I want you to have, I want you to be involved with this. And then he ends the chapter itself with, here's your choice. I've given you the two roads, the two paths. You make your choice. You know what he's doing? He's putting his son to the test. Which lifestyle are you going to choose, son? Are you going to choose to trust God that He will indeed give you a wonderful, God-honoring relationship with a woman who will become your wife with all of the attendant, love-making opportunities? Or will you opt for a destructive, short-sighted, sexual lust which will ultimately destroy you? That's what he says. That's the choice. You know, I wish Solomon had followed his own advice. I haven't said much about this, but I wish he would have listened to his own counsel. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. Solomon knew that. Solomon was gifted by God as a wise man, the wisest. Follow your own counsel, man. His own iniquities will capture the wicked. He will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. And boy, tragically, did Solomon go astray. Listen to the way that O. Palmer Robertson describes Solomon. Do you love someone other than the spouse to whom you are committed? Do you desire to have a sexual relationship with another? Forget it. It's of the devil, not of God. Scripture reports that King Solomon, 1 Kings 11.1, 1, loved many foreign women. God had indicated specifically that the Israelites must not intermarry with the peoples of the nations about them because foreigners invariably would turn Israelite hearts to worshiping other gods. Yet Solomon, according to 1 Kings 11, 2 and 3, held fast in love to his 700 wives of royal birth and his 300 concubines. He loved them, he clung to them, but he was altogether wrong in following the pulsations of love. The wisest man in the world got sorely, tragically confused over this matter of love's attractions. The consequences were disastrous. For, according to 1 Kings 11.4, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God. In response to this deviation from divine law, the Lord became angry with Solomon and brought many adversaries against him. Robertson says this, Let all lesser men take note. If the wisest of humans can suffer from romantic illusions, who can presume that he will remain free from temptation and a fall? Beware of any romantic inclinations that contradict the orderings of the Word of God. So true. Wise warning. Make your choice. Which really takes us right back to verses 21 to 23. A man who is in love with his wife does not stagger with an adulteress. Do you see that? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. And what is the Lord watching in the path of a man? Well, what does verse 20 say? Why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress? It means to, to be staggered. 
to be staggered. You ought to be exhilarated with the wife of your youth and, and her life and her body, not with an adulteress. And don't embrace the breasts of a foreigner. Uh, there's a chiastic structure here. It's saying in verse 20 what is repeated in verse 19. In the positive, your wife to you is a loving hind and a graceful doe, and with her breasts you ought to be satiated at all times. You ought to be absolutely staggered with her love always. Why should you then be staggering with an adulteress? And why would you wrap around the bosom of a foreigner? You satisfied with your your own wife's body, not somebody else. That's what God sees. He does see. His eyes look at all of the paths, at all of the men. And God says, I've ordered something. I've ordered a world. I've created a man and a woman to be joined in a strong one bond flesh relationship so that they would be exhilarated with their own love and not a third party. Are you going to choose the right ways before the face of God? Are you going to choose to find a fleeting pleasure from the relationship of a woman who will capture or ensnare you? Isn't that what verse 22 says? His own iniquities will capture the wicked. That's what happened to Solomon. His heart turned away from the Lord. He was captured by these foreign women and held with the cords of his sin. You see that graphically pictured? Someone who is tied up, who's captured with the cords of his own doing. He'll die for lack of instruction. And in the the greatness, the the mammothness, the the intensity of his folly, he will go astray. Then listen to instruction. His folly is great. Remember Jesus saying in Matthew, person builds his house on the proper foundation. Storms of life come, beat against that house. But because that person has done the will of God, obeyed, listened to the voice of the Lord, that storm comes, beat it, beats against the house, and it withstands that terrible storm. But there's another not building on the proper foundation, not counting the costs, compromising, cutting corners, quick pleasure, easy sex, involved in looking at, viewing that which is the woman of someone else, not heeding instruction, not building on the right foundation, and just like this, and great was its fall. Great was its fall. Why? Because it's folly. This is what the Word of God says. It is folly for a person to be involved in sexual relationships outside of marriage. It never works. It never produces. It never gives you what you want. It will only give you pain and heartache. And it will only destroy relationships. And it will cause a severing in the relationship not only of a husband and wife, but of a family and even possibly a church and a community. It never does anything but destroy. And great is its folly. The eyes of the Lord are watching. He sees all of our paths. What are we doing? What choices do we make? Oh, choose the beauty, the absolute beauty of committing yourself to a man or to a woman and having great love in that relationship in all ways, including in the physical dimension. I 
have the joy of a committed relationship of love with my wife. Clean, pure, honoring, honoring to God, honoring to each other, enjoying the sexual relationship, loving the other person, serving the other person, being involved exhilaratingly. There's no joy like it. There's no opportunity for the blessing of God. Yet some of you might be there and say, I've blown it. I've just absolutely blown it. I've given my vigor to others. My strength is depleted. I've been involved in sexual sin. I didn't make the proper choices. Yes, there's grace. And it may not be that you can ever have that relationship go to the highest levels that it otherwise could. But now you confess, forsake the sin, confess it to the appropriate people, and then live up to the capacity that it can be lived at now. God promises that even though sin has its devastating consequences, it can be up to a capacity that He will decide and that He will also yet bless. It may not always be what it once could have been, and maybe even once what it was. But God, as a God of grace, will help, encourage, come alongside. Maybe there are some of you who are involved in sexual sin right now. Right this very moment. Whether it's a printed page, computer screen, movies, visualizations just from your own eyes toward other people who you know is not proper. God wants you to be exhilarated with only one person, your spouse. You young people, if you are not yet married... Commit yourself tonight, right now, to involving yourself in a prayer to God continually that He will save you, secure you, protect you, so that you might be involved ultimately with giving only one person and one person forever your love. Especially you gals. Work toward the opportunity of seeing God protect you Pray fast. Seek accountability. Ask God to help you. Ask God to keep you pure. And for those of you who are single, if you're in a position in which you say, that entire sexual area is not open to me, I don't have a spouse, I'm either committed to remaining single, or I was once married and I'm now single through whatever circumstances, ask God for the same thing. Protect me, Lord. Bring me and my eyes and my hands to a level of purity so that you might be pleased, so that you would give me the gift, the gift of saying no to sexual temptation. And as I commit myself to you and your word and your ways, and as I meditate upon your truth, you'll be protecting me, you'll be helping me, you'll be strengthening me so that I will not fall in that area and that I could be an encouragement to other people holding others accountable while I myself am committed to being sexually pure. It is possible. I know that in our very sensate culture, we have everything fighting against us as individuals and as a church, but God is faithful. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able, but with the temptation, He'll provide a way of escape so that we may be able to endure it. Aren't you glad for the, for the grace of God, the protecting grace of God? We need His grace in all of the stations of life that are represented here. We need His wonderful protecting grace. Pray for me. Pray for the pastor of your church. Pray for the other men in leadership here. It may be that Satan attacks us more than any other because great would be the fall of such a one. By God's grace, I know of nothing in my own life and in the life of the other men who serve 
here in this place that would cause us to be disqualified in this area, but pray, fervently pray. Someone sent me an email last week after that message and say and said, I'm specifically praying for you and your sexual purity. I was so encouraged. So encouraged. Pray for each other. This may be one of the most devastating sinful temptations in all of the church in America today, is it not? We need God's grace. And one of the ways that we can do that is to remain faithfully loving in our own marriage relationships. And you know, it may be that for some of you, even as a married person, you may have some kind of physical difficulty. Uh, You may have even passed that time in which that sexual urge and that desire is, is past. But you can still love the other person with loves and caresses and long walks and kisses and affirmations. And you can do that and show them that you still love them even if you're not able to be together in that sexual intimacy. It is possible. God wants all of us in whatever station of life we find ourselves to be committed to sexual purity. Let's do that for the glory of God, shall we? Let's pray together. Father, we are wholly dependent upon Your Spirit to protect us and to guide us. Lord, I pray that we would not watch the things, see the things, do the things, but speak of giving our vigor to others. Lord, I pray that for myself and for others in our congregation who are men needing Your protecting grace, that You would give that to us for Your honor and glory. Lord, we don't want to scandalize the church. We don't want to wreak havoc in the body of Christ. We don't want to destroy relationships. We don't want to speak of embattled families that are continuing to struggle, if not obliterated, by sexual sin. Lord, I pray for those who are single among us, that You'd protect them. They may be single by choice. They may be single not by choice. They may want to be remarried. They may want to see You work in their lives to bring someone in their lives. Maybe to bring back that, that desire for intimacy that, that they once had and that was destroyed by sin. Lord, I pray that You would give grace to them. I pray for our young people that they would not be so enamored of this sensate culture that they too would look away, close their eyes, walk the other direction. And Lord, I pray for the women not only of our fellowship, but as we travel this dusty road and we see immodest and ungodly women who are dressing provocatively, I pray that if they're in our own fellowship, we talk to them and come alongside them Maybe uh, they don't understand the full implications of what they're doing and how they're dressing. I pray that we would come to them and lovingly tell them they really need to consider changing their clothing styles. Father, I pray for the men and women who have committed relationships within our church. I pray that You would increase their sexual joy all the more. Pray that You would give them a tremendous, exhilarating, sanctifying sex life. Lord, I pray that men would be more sensitive and that women would be more responsive. I pray that You would bless these things because You've given this vital area to us to not only express love, but to to be satisfied, to satisfy others. Lord, may we come together again and speak of other ways and practical means whereby we can see ourselves protected and nurtured and our families built up and not destroyed. 
May you bless this evening's message and for what your word says to us very plainly, even provocatively so, about sexual relations and marriage. Thank you for honestly and plainly telling us what we're to be involved in and what we're to avoid. May it resonate in our minds and hearts for years to come. In Christ's name, amen.